Opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. Good evening and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. This is Scotty Reed broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USAE. Again, you are tuned in to New Abolitionist Radio. We broadcast this program every Wednesday night, Lord willing, at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. So thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, Max is still without power down there in South Carolina, but he is at home with minimum damage to the area, so that's good news, but he's not able to join us tonight. Uh, I do have Otis as well as yourself who are going to help co-host, and they've been doing a great job over the past uh, couple of weeks. So, let me get into what we will be talking about tonight, but you can also share any information you would like to share by giving us a call at 866-510-9025. That's 866-510-9025. Hit star star to put yourself in a caller's queue. Always watch your background noise, but at, at the first opportunity, we will bring you in to give you an opportunity to ask a question or make a comment on one of the many stories and other information that we share with you on this broadcast. So thank you again. This is the award-winning broadcast, New Abolitionist Radio, documenting legalized slavery and human trafficking. This is a global problem, but particularly atrocious behind the enemy lines of USAE. And the United States, this is a fact. This isn't, you know, my opinion. These are, we we dealing with numbers. It's mathematics. The United States is home to the world's largest prison population. It contains the world's largest captive labor force and human bodies treated as commodities. Uh, like I mentioned, Max is on vacation. He may call in, who who knows, um, if he has phone service. So uh, he may call in, we may hear from him, but of course he's with us in spirit. So we got a number of news stories to share of importance and we will cover 
our regular segments, but like last week, going to mix them up throughout the broadcast to ensure we made time for them all. And one more time, feel free with your questions or comments, give us a call at 866-510-9025, 866-510-9025. No question is a dumb question. The only one, I, they keep telling me that the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. So if you're unclear about anything we're talking about or you need more clarification, give us a call. That's what we're here for, to interact with you. So let me check. Uh, my board before we get started okay we do have our co-host but let me tell you what's on the menu for tonight if you will a writer of the 21st century underground railroad is andrew leander wilson who was freed in march of this year he uh was enslaved in california and spent 32 years behind bars for the 1984 murder of 21 year old christopher hansen which he did not commit. In the segment for Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, I'm going to, when I'm, you know, um, able to participate more in doing these show lineups is, when we talk about the history of rebellion, go outside of the United States because slavery is global. And indeed, Max shortly will be uh, traveling to Ghana, him in tribal reign, abolitionist from the U.S. representing on the continent of uh, Africa, because they recognize global slavery, okay? So as part of, for freedom's sake, a history of rebellion, let's look at worldwide rebellions. And tonight, we're going to look at Panama and this was an interesting story and and with a personal backstory for me because I had a cousin who was based in the he was in the United States Army like I was and but he was stationed in Panama for a while and he had some pictures of these African looking sisters. I'd have thought they were African Americans or Nigerians or you you know how fashion is pretty global now. You sometimes you just can't tell, especially from pictures. But I was like, man, uh, who these sisters down here in they indigenous? What they in? They got indigenous Africans in Panama. So Panama has an extensive history of rebellions by enslaved Africans going back to the 16th century, and they were quite successful. In fact, they say it was the largest. But I will share more of of what we found about the history of rebellions in Panama. Shout out to the uh, indigenous. Um, Descendants of freedom fighters that's in then in Panama. Our abolitionist in profile is Bayano, also known as Balano or Vano, who was an African enslaved by Spaniards in the mid 1500s who led the biggest revolt against slavery in the 16th century in present day Panama. So, shout out to Panama. Our segment on the Constitution and you, of course, will be provided by uh, Yousef Hassan, again, going to just, you know, cause a lot of people, actually, I was having a conversation, Brother Yousef, the other day with a neighbor who lived across the street. Uh, he'd been living across the street for years, never really talked to him or ever, but he cool with one of my cousins. And so I was talking to this dude and we're talking about slavery. Of course, I'm gonna bring that up. 
and and the Constitution never abolishing slavery, and he just you know making statements like a lot of people don't know what's in the Constitution because they don't read it. So um, that is what Brother Yousef will be providing on New Abolitionist Radio, of course, in the context of 21st century slavery and human trafficking. So let's go ahead and allow our co-host for tonight, our guest host, uh, Otis, and Brother Yousef to give uh, a opening hello to our listeners and, and make any statements that they want to make as, as we get into the program. Greetings, brothers. Hey, greetings, everyone. Um, well, I'm getting back. It'll go away. Just keep talking. Okay. I wasn't used to getting that feedback. You know, you, you never like the sound of your own voice. <laughs> but, you know, once again, you know, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to join in on the call. I guess I was having so much trouble catching the calls before. I said, "Okay, I'm gonna get you on here. That way, you're gonna you're gonna be on the <laughs> you're gonna be tuned in every Wednesday." But you know, it's a pleasure to be here, and you know, I'm just excited to hear what you and Otis have to uh, share with us tonight. Well, I'm glad to be back here. I was just trying to get a sneak peek over some of the stuff that Yousef is going over and trying to figure out which articles I'm responsible for. I see uh, Herman Bell and a few other that I looked over earlier. Well, actually, Otis, I'm sorry. The it, it used the link to the discussion group, which is in Black Talk Radio's uh, btrcommunity.com. Um, I'll, I'll, um, I did include that link because Max added some stories. And so, um, yeah. So we have some stories, but I'll, I'll handle that. So if you could get to that link like we did last week, that's where all the stories will be posted. And it is public, so anybody can go to btrcommunity.com, although we rather you go ahead and join and get a $24 a year subscription to to uh, join Black Talk Radio Network's version of Facebook and social networking and also fund the movement. Fund the movement, all right? So join us there. So, Otis, that's where the stories uh, will be found. But I didn't mean to interrupt you. Just wanted to get that information oh, no, out I'm there. Good. I, so there I, was no confusion. I'm, I'm ready when you are. Okay. I'll look for it. All right. So, okay, if you guys have uh, nothing further, then the first thing I want to do is uh, inform our listeners. Let me talk about the title, though. Why did I choose that title? And what is the title there? Well, Donald Trump is be, uh, being faced with a resolution, a bipartisan resolution. I heard it was unanim unanimously passed, which it was an unprecedented, uh, not unprecedented, but unusual step for Congress to basically make a policy statement. And that's all it is. It's like a press release. And they usually don't try to push these sort of things into law. It's just like a statement on something, on an issue. And But they took the unusual step of actually making this something that had to be signed by the president, the CEO of USA Inc., Donald Trump. And what this resolution says is that he must condemn, flat out condemn, white supremacy and recognize it as domestic terrorism 
and devote federal resources to combating this, this centuries-old problem that the United States government, quite frankly, has never been serious about fighting. Now, that's something important, though. That's something important, again, could be historic in, in such a thing, probably never being debated since the 19. Uh, 50s and 60s, you know, certainly the 1960s, where there was a lot of political pressure uh, from the grassroots for for change. So this could be unprecedented uh, going back it, when you're specifically targeting white supremacist terrorism, then I can't really think of any administration that ever done that, specifically naming them. I had to go back to former Union Army um Union Army, who general who became president, Ulysses S. Grant. So I just want people to recognize the historical significance of Congress being united and forcing a sitting president to, to put it on paper. Either you're going to sign this, which means you agree with it, and, and, and you are binding yourself to fighting uh, white supremacist terrorism, or uh, you can veto it. And then you telling everybody uh, where you stand in case there's some people out there who's kind of slow and they don't know where he stand already. So this is kind of unique. But again, it falls short of one of the demands of the August 19th um, D.C. rally we had and all the, the 20 other sister rallies across the nation. And what was the, one of those demands? That demand was that Congress take up the issue of the exception clause, the slavery exception clause in the 13th Amendment. So it falls short of that, but it's pushing in the right direction. See, what they need to be pointed out to them is that white supremacist terrorism was implemented to slavery of blacks only. And now, to, because people been pushing, we had a civil war over it. Now, they do include non-black people, but still black people uh, make up their primary victims of modern day slavery and human trafficking, but again, this is a global, uh, a global institution. So uh, that's the reason for the title. Yeah, that's historic that they calling him out or, or taking him to task like that and making him put it on paper, which this is sort of sort of binding. But again, these people break the law all the time, so I'm not being unrealistic, but just acknowledging that we haven't seen this sort of movement, but it still falls short. Of Congress taking up the issue of slavery abolitionism, so that's the reason for the title. Yes, Otis, go ahead, please you, join you us. Br you bring it up all the time in in uh, in your uh, broadcasting. He's an official of the United States government, and and media is recording his every action. They can go contemporary and pretend that he's he's okay to get away with what he does with Twitter and everything. But you already know if his actions continue without making some kind of official statement against them, that that opens them up to going to human rights, uh, world, world commissions and everything. He can continue to be Donald Trump, but if he doesn't do some kind of official uh, act to say that he's not for them, eventually someone will end up before the somewhere as because he's an official of the, of, of the United States. He's the top official. So Congress can't afford to just let him keep running all willy-nilly and not doing something in the official capacity to say we refute these people. 
Are you with me? I'm here. Did we lose Scotty? I think so. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I had myself muted. <laughs> My bad. I'm juggling over here. Um, we would have to go back to 1871, the Civil Rights Act of 1871, also named the Klan Act, which empowered the CEO of USA Inc. to target domestic terrorism, white supremacy, neo-confederacy, who were terrorizing former victims of slavery and, and black people in general, and, and of course, non-white people. So, so that's historic in that. But now, before we get into the program, I do want to just tell people, if you're in the South Carolina, um, North Carolina area, because I'm like right across the border, from South Carolina, but if you're in the Greenville area, and let me pull up this information on Chronic 2017, which I have the honor of being one of the speakers, myself, uh, along with Max Parthas, are going to share some time. Um, this is the Carolina Human Rights Organizing Conference. It will go down September the 15th through the 17th. This again will occur in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, it will be three days of workshops, panel discussions, and solution-based ideals with grassroots activists and organizers engaged in frontline struggles for civil and human rights in the Carolinas and beyond. So the location, if you're in the area, please join us at the Upstate Circle of Friends. Again, that's the Upstate Circle of Friends at 29 Ridgeway Drive. Greenville, South Carolina, that's 29605. So just throw that in your GPS. 29 Ridgeway Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. So I, I hope that you will join me. Um, I will be speaking on the on grassroots digital radio as a as a grassroots organizing tool and basically uh, just talking about where we are in terms of mass communications and the grassroots access to mass and communications and, and not fighting for access to the corporate um, media stream, but creating our own media streams using new media technology. And it's very affordable. Uh, if it wasn't affordable, I can tell you, and this isn't a slight against anyone, but considering the 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 low amount of donations we've taken in over the nine years um but as a policy not applying for a lot of grants or things of that nature so we can maintain our autonomy and and what have you um um we have been able to survive for nine years as a platform a, a global platform i mean this platform alexa says is ranked in the top half a million of websites out of billions of websites, the top half half a million platforms, right? And so I'll be talking about that as a strategy in order for you to localize your media. Stop, let's stop complaining about what's on the radio, uh, being controlled by our heart, iHeart Radio or whatever radio station, whatever corporation, it's running the radio station. You don't like to kill a radio they producing. Bam. Compete against them with digital radio. 
Every mostly everybody is connected. There's free Wi-Fi everywhere. We need to take advantage of that. Plus, terrestrial radio's dying. So that's what I'll be speaking about, and Max will wrap it up by tying in um, this tool into how we've used it over the past five years in abolition. So, um, yeah, just wanted to invite people to join us uh, this weekend in Greenville, South Carolina. So the first story, I'm sorry. So, Otis, did, were you able to find the stream? Does everybody? And wait a minute. I think we may have Max on the line. And if so, he might as well join in and, and host with us. But 803, who do we have on the line? 803. Hey, Scott Reed, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I believe that's Mr. Parthis. Yes, sir. Uh, man, I, you know, I'd love to help you out tonight, but for tonight, I think I'm going to let you and Yusuf and Otis handle it. These two brothers have been doing a great job for these past two weeks. Gave me some uh, time to do the things I need to do to be able to avoid this damn hurricane. And, you know, we just got back, and I'm using my cell phone for everything, so that's very difficult to begin with. And I brought a flu back with me, so it's not a good day. But you guys are doing a great job, man. I'm so proud of you all. And, Scotty, that topic that you brought up about um, Congress forcing Trump to address white supremacy to recognize white supremacy. Hey, your uh, audio I think that is, is a watershed moment. Yeah, it is. Yes? But your audio is kind of uneven. I think that's a watershed the epitome of white supremacy is black slavery or just slavery in general. Like everybody's supposed to be enslaved to them. So if they recognize that, they should be able to recognize the rest. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Valid point. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, like I said, man, I'll be sneezing all over this phone. So you guys handle it. You're doing a great job, man. I'll be back next week for sure. And uh, we'll uh, finish off where we started, and then slavery. All right, man. That's peace, right. peace Get to you well, and the man. fam. All right. So, uh, Otis, I'm posting the stories in in the chat room. Uh, the, anybody want to take slavery in the U.S. prison system? Um, give us a brief synopsis of the article in your commentary. And we'll pass it around. But uh, Max posted this story, Slavery in the U.S. Prison System on AlJazeera.com. Uh, either one of you want to take that, guys? Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I remember. Uh, you go. You, you can go ahead, Otis. You, you okay. know, I always. Uh... All right. I read over it some time ago. I'll. I'll uh, it says, uh, basically, AlJazeera. Front lines prisons, 24,000 prisoners across 29 states. I mean, uh, 24,000 prisoners across 29 prisons in 12 states protested against inhumane conditions. Timing it around the anniversary of the Attica prison uprising, a prison strike now 46 years old. That violent uprising originated from prisoners rebelling against overcrowded cells, unsanitary conditions, medical neglect, and abuse. From Attica to the strike led by the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee last year. These protests draw attention to an ugly truth. Prisoner abuse runs rapid and it has extended into modern day versions of slavery. 
Last year's strike organizers, organizers described slavery like conditions in prisons in the nationwide call to action. Slavery persists by another name today. Young men and women of color toll away in 21st century fields and so in hand. And corporate America is cracking the whip. Influenced by enormous corporate lobbying, the United States Congress enacted the Prison Industrial Enhancement Certification Program in 1979, which permitted U.S. companies to use prison labor. Coupled with the drastic increase in the prison population during this period, profits for participating companies and the revenue for the government and its private contractors soared. The Federal Bureau of Prisons now runs a program called Prison Federal Prison Industries, Unicor, that pays inmates under $1 an hour. The program generated $500 million in sales in 2016 alone, with little of that cash being passed down to prison workers. Stateside, where much of the U.S. addiction to mass incarceration lies, is no different. California prison labor program is expected to produce some $232 million in sales in 2017. I don't know how much of this you want to go over, but I can tell you it says in states like Virginia and Oklahoma, which is my home state, one in every 14 or 15 African-American men are put in prison. So that's not only is the federal system incarcerating us in undue pro in undue numbers the state systems in all 50 states are doing the very same thing we lock up people of color at alarming rates we put them to work corporations gain this story is an age-old american tradition throughout history our nation has successfully pulled back corporate greed but private corporations have always found new ways to reap enormous wealth from cheap labor historical circumstances following the abolition of slavery provided the necessary context to understand how corporations function in a de facto replacement for slavery. That's one of the few things I have a problem with the wording of this because we agree slavery was never abolished. Although the U.S. Con Constitution's 13th Amendment prohibited slavery and involuntary servitude, it made an exception, a loophole for punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, which made prison labor possible. Workers flipping burgers and frying french fries for minimum wage at McDonald's were uniforms that were manufactured by prison laborers. I don't know, Scott, if you want to no, that's good, wake up and talk about that a little more. No, I mean, I mean, yes, we can talk toss it around. Uh, but that's enough for the article. That that's that's great. Y'all have to. If I seem a little distracted, I'm, I'm trying to um, uh, multitask because we got mind, body, and spirit, and I had to get their stuff up. So, but look, this is what I took from that article, and it mentioned all the right things. Use it kept saying slavery over and over. I kept hearing slavery, slave light, slavery. Then they read the Thirteenth Amendment, pointed out the Thirteenth Amendment exception clause. I want to point out to you that this is an article from 2014 from Al Jazeera, okay? And yes. and again, this is evidence. If what I heard from Reverend Barber, who is the head of the North Carolina chapter of the NAACP, although somebody told me that he left 
uh, that was actually on New Abolitionist Radio. Um, um, somebody told me he had left to go join something else, and I just haven't really had time to follow, you know, that story. But he said that investigative journalism, news reports, this is all you need is to file. A, these are all you need as evidence to file complaints because you are able to show pattern in practice, and it's coming from the news media. Uh, and journalists, people willing to testify that this is true. So, so you know, this is evidence, actually. When people talk about, you know, uh, evidence for a crime, that you can enter this into the record. That's part of the uh, great thing about New Abolitionist Radio and us sharing these stories with you is because we're part, we're helping to document it. So if that story gets deleted, this site goes down for whatever reason. We got a podcast over here where we were talking about that. So so these these stories are very important, but it's more important to to use the correct language, which I noticed Al Jazeera. This is from Al Jazeera. Now this person is probably US based, but somehow they are plugged into the abolitionist movement, the new abolitionist movement. Because prior to, and this goes again to what I'll be speaking about at Chronic, the power of media that Malcolm X told us about, is that in the five years that we have been on air, we have changed it. The media narrative that we're even seeing the corporate, some corporate stream uh, media even refer to it as slavery. You might hear it from RT. You might hear it from the Iranians. It's usually going to be this foreign um, media. But here's Al Jazeera, um, and okay, and they're calling it slavery. So again, this is an international movement. So don't think that um, that we're not making an impact with the media that we are producing on it. That's just the power, man. That's the power of media, that we're able to impact a, a, a corporate entity like that and get an article out of them two years ago calling it slavery. But yet, like Max um, said in his one of the keynote speeches, he was like, but we still have people on that stage calling it mass incarceration. So let me pass it off to you guys, your thoughts on this article. You know, I, I, I uh, mirror everything you say. The one that really jumps out at me is if there one line, just just picturing it, where they say slavery persists by another name today. Young men and women of, of color toil away in 20, what, 21st century fields, so in hand, and corporate America is cracking the whip. You know, and I'm I'm looking at that visual image because a lot of times when you have a conversation with someone about slavery, that's the that's the that's what comes to mind to them. You know, so they're saying, Okay, they had no whips, you know, no one's getting whipped and things of that nature, so they believe that slavery doesn't still exist. And I thought it was ironic that he chose these words to say it that way. Young men and women of color are toiling away in the field, and corporate America is cracking the whip because that's exactly what's making it slavery right now. Is that you don't have individuals owning anymore, but you have these corporations that are actually the slave owners now, or the the, the slavers, the enslavers nowadays. That it's corporate America doing it, and that they're blatantly 
selling the labor on the stock market. <laughs> so I thought that that was just unique, that that jumped right out of the article. A lot of good information in the article, a lot of great statistics. You know, whoever did this article did some extensive research. Is VJ Dash is a Washington-based essayist and policy advocate who writes on social, economic, and criminal justice issues. David Love is a Philadelphia-based freelance journalist and commentator, an adjunct professor, instructor at Rutgers University School of Communication and Information. So, you know, maybe at some point in the future we have to try to reach out to either of them or both of them, you know, because I, I you know, I, I'm curious as to what led them to writing this article. This is, an, this is an opinion. It, it, it comes in the opinion section of Al Jazeera. So I, I'm just curious. I see David Love is, a, is, a, is an African-American, and VJ seems to be someone of uh, Indian descent or, you know, what they call Desi, you know, the Indian, Pakistani, uh, yes. Bengali. So uh, just that wording, that wording. It really might be a Dalit. He might be a Dalit, or his parents or grandparents were Dalits. Shout out to the Dalits well, of India. Yeah. There's another part of this article, too, since you bring it up. I, I didn't want to know how much time you want to take with it. But, you know, I have a habit of trying to look at some of the, the embedded articles as well. And they did a really good job going through because with, I've looked at a lot of articles on, off of Twitter where people have tried to say that this is no longer going on. But, and I, I finally started looking through and I can tell you, the computer has made it really easy for any corporation to basically keep people in the dark about what's going on. Because Unicorn manages 83 factories. That's 83, you think about that, it's 50 states. But they manage 83 factories with more than 12,000 prison laborers who earn as little as 23 cents an hour. Now, and, and, and that this is from 2013. So there's no telling. And I, I know personally here in Virginia that there are several local places that actually send some of their product into the prison system, have it worked on, and then it's returned back to them on a regular basis. So that's kind of like outsourcing to the prison to, to yeah. do certain work. And and I only found that out because I happen to know a couple of electricians who were actually doing some of the subcontract work to modify the prison, and they brought it up. So so they go out of their way not to make these contracts very public. So and my point is, there are a lot of prisoners that go through that system that don't even realize what they're doing. It's just a job to them. They have no idea what it is they're producing. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, that's a yeah. great point. Well, let's move on to our next segment as we try to get it all in. I'm uh, mixing it up. We usually would say these segments to the end, but I've been mixing it up the past couple of shows, or this might be the second show I'm doing this, but uh, just trying to ensure we get these segments in. So at this point, we are going to take a look at our history in rebellion. 
taking a look at that in the segment for freedom's sake a history of rebellion uh, as i stated at the beginning of the broadcast panama has an extensive history of rebellions by enslaved africans going back to the 16th century we will share some of what we found and side note there same time the english was landing and colonizing, you know, uh, in the 1600s, uh, North America was known as North America continent today, and and uh, enslaving Africans, Spanish was doing a more just another set of U Europeans doing the same thing in South America and Central uh, America. I think I believe Panama's in Central America, but uh, yeah. So let's let's take a look at this little bit of information I was able to dig up about the history of of rebellion against slavery in Panama. Um, Panama has an extensive history of slave rebellions going back to, I man, I hate the way people word stuff sometimes, has a history of rebellions against slavery going back to the 16th century. In, victims of slavery were brought to the Ithamus from many regions in Africa, including the modern day countries of the Congo, Senegal, uh, Guinea, in Mozambique immediately before their arrival on shore or very soon after excuse me be, yeah before their arrival on shore or very soon after many uh, enslaved Africans revolted against their captors and participated in mass maroonage or desertion I don't know how you gonna desert slavery slavery you know that's usually a term for the military but shout out to Russell Maroon Schultz. All right, shout out to you, brother, political prisoner. Um, and, you know, look up the history of the Maroons. These are people who did escape Africans and they fought guerrilla, in guerrilla warfare. So the free Africans founded communities in the forests and mountains, organized guerrilla bands known as the uh, Cimarrones. They began a long guerrilla war against the Spanish conquistadors, sometimes in conjunction with nearby indigenous communities like the Kuna and the uh, Guaymi. I'll probably pronounce that incorrectly. But despite massacres by the Spanish, the rebels fought until the Spanish crown was forced. Then they fought them and made them. See, we even have his stories like that. Um, that's hidden here in the so-called United States. You know, um, you look up the Seminoles and, and the... South the Carolinas. And yeah, Florida, South yes. Carolina, all, all of that. Yeah, so, but, so, um, they fought them to a standstill often and forced these people, but we don't get Hollywood stories and movies made about this. Um, you know, we were lucky to even get uh, uh, the 13th which was a documentary on the 13th Amendment, you know. Uh, before that, it was just slavery by another name, the book and, and the PBS film. So, but, I mean, these are great stories, man, full of drama, full of, of, of real-life characters that you could bring to the screen while also educating people about real history instead of this made-up Spielberg history about Lincoln abolishing some 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 victims of slavery and what have you and, and lionizing him. Um, let me continue. But it said um, it said that the rebels fought until the Spanish crown was forced to concede to treaties that granted the Africans a life without Spanish violence. 
another word for terrorism, and incursions. The leaders of the guerrilla revolts included Filipino Bayano, Juan D. Diaso, Domingo Congo, uh, Anton Mandinga, and Luis de Mozambique. So those were the leaders of the highly successful, okay, revolt against slavery in the area uh, known today as Panama. And we salute you from New Abolitionist Radio. Salute. Salute. Any, any comments, guys, on that story? Very inspirational. Very inspirational, and I, I can tell you, since we started this, I started digging around. There's a lot we don't get in American history. I just should tell you three quick ones that I saw on a satellite when I saved. 1811, German Coast Uprising uprising in the territory of New Orleans. I had no idea about that, and I picked through history. But once we started getting on this, the other one I did know about, Denmark Vesey rebelled in South Carolina. Another one, Madison, Washington, during the Creole case in the 19th century in the United, all of these are U.S. in, in southern territories in the U.S. You know that that are slave rebellions, and I I keep remembering growing up, the old folks used to tell me all the time, boy, you ain't gonna get that news in that newspaper or on that television. They don't want you to know how many our people was doing doing what they had to do to survive. That's why they keep us corralled, and I believe them. It, picking picking through some of these courthouses in the South now, you'll find that a whole lot more rebellion went on than what American wants to tell you in a, a history book. That's right. <laughs> it is. Very true. <laughs> Keep you your mouth know, um, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done, brother. No, I am. I am. You know, I always... When I hear these stories, I always call the mind, you know, the saying, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has, it never will. You know, so, you know, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know how the vast majority of people think this is going to happen, but, you know, demands are going to have to be made. It's, it, you know, there's not going to be some sit down at the table, let's shake hands and agree, sing kumbaya type of thing not going to go down like that. I mean, we have our legal we have our legal procedures that we're going to be going through as far as going to the courts and everything, but it may come a time where there's actually going to have to be bloodshed. You know, and you know, maybe in our lifetime, maybe not in our lifetime. You know, well, and you look at every rebellion, every uprising, you know, no one ever just said, okay, you're free. Yeah, you're free. No, it, it's always involved some form of conflict, physical conflict. So that's always something that has to be in our mindset because, you know, the saying is give me liberty or give me death. You know, so people are going to have to start thinking along those lines that, you know, it may come a time where people will actually have to lay down their lives for this. I mean, you know, all three of us are uh, U.S. veterans, you know, so we know what it's like to be on the front lines, you know, and people are going to have to come out of that comfort zone, you know. Right now, it's just, 
you know, we have our marches, we have our rallies, you know, we're going to go to the court, but who knows where it's going to be 20 years from now or five years from now or, you know, two years from now. We don't know, you know, so that's always something that we, you know, it's, it's, it's always about history. If we're going to speak about history, that's, and, and going to your point, Otis, that's probably a reason why a lot of these rebellions aren't spoken of, because if we start learning about all of these rebellions that happened in the Western Hemisphere, and then we start hearing about the others, like the Zang re- uh, Rebellion, when, you know, those, the, the Africans did the uprising in, in the India region, yes. you know, of how 500,000 people fought for their freedom over there. You know, through bloodshed. So when we start hearing this stuff, they they know what it would start doing to our psyche. Now we're going to start saying, well, look, that's what worked for them, so they can't reinforce that. So of course, you know, they're going to keep telling us, oh, why don't you be like more like MLK? You know, because that's what they want. They want us to be passive. They want us to, you know, just do sit-ins and take knees. That's all they want out of it. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't put I wouldn't put passive on MLK um because that was a tactic and those people yes. were not organized. I didn't, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean that as a slight on Martin Luther King. Yeah, I, I know you didn't mean that way. People, yeah. But they don't understand that hey MLK, you know, that was the tactic he used. This thing was Let's, let's expose the them. He wants to expose them. I mean, I've read about it in, in my media research. They mm-hmm. talked about and strategized. There's cameras now. We got international media. These let's get these images out here. And this may sound cruel, but at the same time, like you said earlier, you said uh, our people who did what they had to do to survive, and so to let the world know that these images that you see that show like America is so great and it's the land of free that has taken in many and provided great opportunities and, and really not showing you black folks Martin Luther King and then was like let's send out these high school students and these young college students that's brave enough to go out there and let firemen hit them with hoses and let police sick dogs on them and bust them in the head and you know John Lewis again you can't take that away from him but I think all them blows to the head have affected his decisions today but but you know he still gets credit for what he did as a young man with all those other young people and so that sort of stuff when people try to play down marches and rallies and stuff you're not thinking think big picture in how revolutions are sparked by mass demonstrations. Mm-hmm. That that's and, agitation. Right. That's agitation. Exactly. You're not gonna get no exactly. change if you don't throw pebbles in the pond to create ripples and who knows what what can come about when a butterfly flaps its wings. You have to do something to stop the machine from rolling along. I'd like to say, Scott, you talk about it regularly, but the the part you talked about Congress coming together and saying it's a seminal moment for Congress to come together and try to force the president to come out against white supremacy. Ironically, ESPN is trying to censor a black female reporter because she came on Twitter on her personal time and said, the man is a white supremacist. He surrounded Mm -hmm. himself by white supremacists. Now, this is the kind of thing that gets me. 
I, I already sent out one to Van Jones and a couple of other people saying, how can you jump on the bandwagon for all of these other things like what's wrong with Colin uh, Kaepernick? But you're not on the bandwagon for this sister that stood up and said the same thing that you've been beating around the bush for since, since January when Trump got signed in. When he was sworn in, you kept talking about he's going to unleash the people, he's going to stir them up, he's going to embolden them. She comes out and just goes on Twitter and goes straight out on him because somebody came at her talking about it, and she just let it out. Yeah, the man. She ain't saying no different than Congress. She ain't did. She ain't saying nothing no different than the U.S. Congress. Republicans and Democrats are saying to him through that resolution. That's exactly what I'm saying. But people now, the conservative people, a couple of them, are trying to mount an effort to get her fired. As a matter of fact, the press secretary, Huckabee's daughter came out and said it's a fireable offense. The White House is trying to get her fired for calling a racist president. Come, come on now, now they call Barack Obama worse. So that, oh yeah, yeah but yeah, I'm so, telling but, you, this yeah. is true. I'm trying. Yeah, we I'm know. upset because I keep telling people that's when you should tweet bomb the people I'm talking to on Facebook every day. I'm saying that's when you should stop putting out these kitty porn and and dog puppy things and these little memes. You should send a tweet to them. You should. Everybody should load up ESPN. I already tweeted them. I tweeted them last night. And flutter. Yeah. Exactly. I, but nobody wants to do it in mass. Yeah, I, I tweeted them last that. night. Sometimes though, it takes. Sometimes those things can go viral on their own, like that hashtag vets for Kaepernick. I swear, y'all, I probably started that because I did put that out there as soon as he did what he did when, because I knew the standard procedure was, oh, he's disrespecting yep. the flag, he's disrespecting the veterans, and okay, I'm a vet, and what? Right. Veterans for Yes, because I kept trying to trying to push it every time I saw it from you. You and I are one of the few people that keep using these hashtags, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, that I see in my stream, but, but I do it too, Scotty, but that's my point of saying, people come on and, and they want to give you some old fluff stuff, but they don't want to do what they can. I'm saying we have to be educated on that stuff. Two hundred and fifty of them send that. It propels it. It gets a message across. Right, and and I'll also make mental note to include that in my presentation at Chronic this weekend. But we do need to move on, fellas, as we have okay. uh, limited time. We got about eight minutes till the top of the hour when we will take our station identification. But we do have a caller, um, Brother Braggs. Uh, thank you for chiming in yes, to sir. New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead and speak your piece, sir. Peace, peace, gentlemen. I, I just wanted to chime in with this, man. All we're doing is watching the Nazi program in effect. Propaganda at its best, you know what I'm saying? The, the main thing is so none of the people have any idea of whatever is going on because they hit you with so much propaganda. The other thing, the storm in Houston, that's a whole big thing. You got to realize who, who's in Houston. When I say Nazis, check the Bush family, check their pedigree, check the government. Just like they don't care. Then go back in history and check all through history how they did us in history. They didn't care about us then. They really don't care about us now. This is our country, and they're trying to take it. They need to clear you off the land. They're gonna clear you off the land by any means possible, harp and whatever else they can do to move you off the land. That's all I have to say, gentlemen. Peace. He's speaking truth. All right, thank you, Brother Braggs. And uh, can we, uh, let's go, we got another caller, uh, Erico 414. Damn it, 
<laughs> I'm muted myself. Uh, Eric, where's that background noise coming from? Uh, area code 414, you need to call us from a regular phone. Uh, we was getting nothing but a high-pitched whining noise. I don't know what type of device you're trying to use to call in, but no, I heard you saying hello, hello faintly, but no, you got a high-pitched whining noise. So try a different device and, and give us a call back. Um, again, you can chime in at 866-510-9025, 866-510-9025. Um, do, will one of you fellas take our next story, which is uh, Virginia tops nation and sending students to cops courts? Where does your state rank? Which is uh, from publicintegrity.org. Go ahead, you yeah, I'm trying to find it again because I had it open. Uh, Man. I, I've got it if you want. Well, Otis, Go you ahead. take it and he could get the next story because okay. we'll do our next segment. You we'll say, do, do our next segment. Criminalizing kids. Virginia tops the nation and send the students to cops, courts. Where does your state rank? How kicking a trash can can become a criminal offense for a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. Caleb Moon Robinson, who is diagnosed as artistic, had barely started sixth grade last fall in Lynchburg, Virginia, when a school resource officer filed charges against him. Caleb was charged with disorderly conduct for kicking up a trash can and then with assault on a police officer because he struggled to put free when a cop grabbed him. The Center for Public Integrity analyzed national data and found that Virginia schools refer more students to law enforcement than any other state and that nationally schools refer black and special needs kids to cops and courts disproportionately. Uh, diagnosis artistic, Caleb was being scolded for misbehavior one day and kicked a trash can at, at Lincoln Middle School in Lynchburg in the Blue Ridge Mountains. A police officer assigned to the school witnessed the tantrum, filed a disorderly conduct charge against the sixth grade in juvenile court. Just weeks later in November, Caleb, who is African-American, disobeyed a new rule this one just for him that he wait while other kids left class the principal sent the same school officer to get him he grabbed me and tried to take me to the office said caleb a small speckled boy who enjoys science i started pushing him away he slammed me down and he handcuffed me now i hope you caught the part that they made a rule just for him he had to wait until the other kids left before he could leave class after an incident in the incident report, a teacher confirmed that the officer spoke to Caleb then grabbed him around the chest and that Caleb cursed and struggled. School officials won't comment on this case, but say that police and schools are crucial to providing a safe atmosphere, protecting against outside threats. Stacy Doss, Caleb's mother and the daughter of a police officer herself was outraged. Educators stood by, she said, while the cop took her son in handcuffs to juvenile court. The officer filed a second disdemeanor disorderly conduct against him and also submitted another charge, a very grown-up charge for a small boy, felony assault on a police officer. The charge was filed, Doss said. The officer told her because Caleb fought back. I, that's, you can read that article. Uh, I'll post it up on, on my page, too. But I think that's enough of it for people to understand what's going on. 
I happen to be here in Virginia, but I have a son that's in Oklahoma, and they happen to be the top two states for black boys, black youth going to jail. Any comments? Yeah, hearing that case reminds me of the one of the uh, the young gentleman down in uh, New Mexico that was uh, burping in gym class. Yes. You know, to where he ended up becoming arrested. And, you know, ironically, that was one where uh, Judge uh, uh, Gorsuch was actually one of the judges on the case when it got to the appellate division. And although they, they uh, upheld the decision, Judge uh, Gorsuch did a dissent. You know, they, uh, the court upheld the arrest, you know, stating that, you know, they, they kind of like laid the blame on the New Mexico legislature because of such a vague uh, statute within the uh, within the it says that uh, no person shall willfully interfere with the educational process of any public or private school by committing, threatening to commit or inciting others to commit any act which would disrupt, impair interfere with or obstruct the lawful mission process procedures or functions of a public or private school and Neil Gorsuch was basically saying look you know, that's very vague, you know, because the intent, and he cited several other states and certain federal statutes, which says, you know, the intent is really talking about someone, he gave an example of someone calling in a bomb threat. Right. You know, that's, that's, that's disru disrupting the school. He said, children acting up in class is as old as sliced bread. <laughs> basically, you know that's something that it's gonna forever happen. It's part of the it's process. Gonna, yeah, it's gonna happen to the end of time. Children are gonna disrupt class. So if that was the case, you'd be locking children up all over the country every single day. You know, and there was another case a few years ago where a child was arrested for forgetting their homework. You know what they're doing is they're criminalizing things that. You know, we, we got sent to the principal's office for, or we got detention for, or if, you know, yeah, at worst we get a one-day suspension to where our parents have to bring us back to school. You know, but now they're criminalizing. Oh, you, you, know, had, even, you had additional homework or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, know, you got to do, you have to do an extra book report or something. Now, I mean, for the, for the smallest little things, they're criminalizing it, and of course, fights in school now turn into assault charges. Again, something else that children are always fight, you know, because they're children. So they, they, they don't know conflict resolution yet. And one of the things they're going to do is fight. So they're criminalizing. And, of course, you know, we know how it ties in with the 13th Amendment. We know about the school, the prison pipeline. So we, we, we know the ultimate goal behind all of this. <clears throat> and again, that's another reason why, because we know child labor is uh, very rampant all across the globe. And child labor is a big deal. So You don't even have to use them as labor, though. Just, America's, 
Just their bodies right. are commodities. Just housing them and warehousing them like those uh, people were doing in Pennsylvania with those two judges in that kitty detention facility, as it was named, something to that effect. Like they were some kind of daycare center. But, yeah, they don't even have to put them to work to make money. See, that's the thing about the new slavery. They figured out a way to even, you know, make money without even putting you to work. Just putting you in a cage. Just having the body here money. And as you keep saying, Scott, it's compounded because not only do they make money for housing you, but they're also going to make money for you to communicate with your family. Then they also make money off you buying the necessities because they're feeding you food that, that's killing you. And then on top of that, they limit your future for the rest of your life because you can't get schooling, you can't get public grants, you can't get any welfare assistance, and you can't vote. Right. So you're permanent. You're permanently anchored in the possibility of being rotated right back into that system again. Well, and we, we do. Another um, thing that's happening with the youth, you know, it, it, they, they see it as like a form of rebellion. Everybody tells them how. It's know, glorified it, through the media, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah it's glorified yeah, it's through the media. Yeah. And so when they come home now, in their mind, it's, oh, it wasn't bad. It ain't no big Yeah, deal. but they ain't now telling they you about, they ain't telling you about them 20 times they got raped, but yeah. Okay. About exactly the abuse, the sexual abuse, and, and the... yeah, yeah, there's, there's never any talk about that. I mean, you used to hear guys. I remember, you know, like back in the the eighties when I was constantly getting in trouble. You hear guys say, "Oh, such and such jail is sweet." They used to talk about different prisons in New York. Yeah, man, if you go up north, you want to go to such and such spot, man. It's sweet there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sad. Yeah, I it's rape. It's, it's rape, yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? That we would literally, you know, guys were saying stuff like that. It's sweet there. Mm. They were talking about, you know, certain jails. You know, they have track the trailer school. You know, they have they have all these. One jail had a bowling alley in it. They were telling me about. Yes. So you, in your mind, you're like, hey, you know, it ain't so bad. So maybe I would go out here and try to swing this you know, swing this crap. Because, you know, I'm just going to go to a spot like that where it's sweet. Yeah, I hope it ain't nobody out there believing that. But listen, guys, listen, we're overdue for our break, so we're going to take our station identification break. You're listening to Black Talk Radio Network. This is New Abolitionist Radio, where we focus on legalized slavery and human trafficking by way of the 13th Amendment. I know it's cruel, it's vicious, it's it's inhumane to even tell a lie like the 13th Amendment and, and perpetrate that fraud on the entire world. Even making movies. Shame on you, Spielberg. Making movies telling this lie that you abolish slavery when, you know, if people just look was in front of them and interpreted correctly then they'll come to the same conclusion we'll be back after these quick messages
in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Our abolitionists in profile tonight, I'll go into that segment. Um, if one of the fellas, if y'all want to choose a story that y'all want to uh, go into after I do our abolitionists in profile tonight, which is connected to Panama, which we featured in our For Freedom's Sake History of Rebellion segment. Um, we are looking at one of the men that was mentioned, Bayano, also known as Bolano or Vallano, who was an African enslaved by Spaniards in the mid 1500s who led the biggest revolt against slavery in the 16th century in present day uh, Panama so let me just pull up his profile quickly here let's see um, again he was enslaved by Spaniards and he, he led the biggest uh, victim of slavery revolt of the 16th century in Panama he was captured from the Mandinka community in West Africa, it has been argued that he and his comrades were Muslim. I don't see what difference it makes, but anyway, different tales tell of their revolt in 1552, beginning either on the ship en route or after landing in Panama's Darien province along its modern day border with Colombia. Uh, escaped victims of slavery known as rebels also known as Cimarrones set up autonomous regions behind the enemy lines man they they were fully functional man set up this is great man set up autonomous regions known as palenques many of which successfully fended off Spanish control for centuries using guerrilla war in alliances with pirates or indigenous nations who were in similar circumstances. King Bayano's forces numbered between four and 1200 Cimarrones, depending upon different sources, and set up a palenque known as, let me see, Ronconcho Long near modern day Chepo River, also known as Rio Bayano. They named it after him. Uh, they fought their guerrilla war for over five years while building their community. The account written by Dr. Abdul Kabir Mohammed based on the belief that Bayano's followers were Mendika and as Mendika had been influenced by Islam argued that they created democratic councils and built mosques. However, the most important primary source written in 1581 by Pedro de Aguado devotes space to their religious life and describes the activities of a bishop who guided the community in prayer, baptized them, and delivered sermons in a manner that Aguado believed to be essentially Christian. Uh, could have been a mixture, okay? Uh, Christianity, uh, indigenous Africans, uh, because, I mean, they revolted as soon as they got over there, so... Um, who, yeah, but again, what it, it doesn't matter. Bayano, not not in the grand scheme of things, but Bayano gained truces with Panama's colonial governor Pedro de Ursua, but Ursua subsequently captured the guerrilla leader and sent him to Peru and then to Spain, where he died. 
Bayano's revolt coincided with others, including those of Pilo in Louis D. Mozambique. Bayano's name has become immortal in the Panamanian consciousness through the naming of a major river, a lake, a valley, a dam, and several companies which have been named after him. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes freedom fighter Bayano. Again, well, I mean, if I had the resources to produce independent films, I don't. So just like Netflix, Netflix, y'all did the 13th based off the fact which that the one, 13th Amendment. Yeah, throw some money at these abolitionist stories. We've been telling them for five years. I think they'll be black blockbusters. Uh, guys, uh, let's let me uh, toss it to the guys real quick. But we do have a caller um, that we want to be able to jump in. Unless y'all want me to go to caller first. Netflix doesn't want to be blackballed. <laughs> huh. If they start doing abolitionist movies, they'll be blackballed. Um, six one four, six one four. Uh, your <laughs> mic is open. Did you want to share something with us tonight on New Abolitionist Radio? Uh, yes, I did. Um, how's everybody doing this evening? We're doing well. Um, um, please share okay. your name. I'm sorry, I should have asked, but thank you for joining us. What's your name? My name is Adrian Hood, and I am from Columbus, Ohio. Thanks for calling in, Adrian. What's on your mind tonight? You're welcome. Um, I just wanted to call in and share a little bit of what's been going on in Columbus over um, the last few days. Um, yeah, actually, please, for myself, please. it started um, last year, June 6, 2016. Columbus police murdered my oldest son, um, and the officers, of course, were um, not indicted, but on that, that day of that decision, um, I did tell uh, the media and the city of Columbus that they had just unleashed some monsters. And one of the officers that murdered my son, um, not even two weeks later, was caught on camera. The first um, on-camera incident that we had with Columbus police uh, stomping um, the handcuffed young man um, on the concrete. Um, and I'm sure that you probably have seen the video circulating over the last couple of days of the incident now that it's taking place with Columbus police um, beating this young man in the convenience store. Um, and uh, now they have him in jail. And from what I've been told, he has not gotten the medical um, attention that that he needs to receive. Um, and so today, our chief of police uh, makes this uncaring video um, that she has now viewed um, body cam footage from one of the officers and hears an officer um, blatantly saying that uh, what he would have done was um, choke this man and when he started drooling, he would have then put handcuffs on him. So I bring that up to say uh, she made a statement about being appalled about the comments that this officer made. 
and still not addressing being appalled about how these officers beat this young man um, down the way that they did and the things that they were saying to him, you know, all the time of this incident going on. None of that was appalling, but what the officer said on camera, she found appalling and took his badge and his gun today. But yet and still, these officers, they call, they have said, their, their FOP has said that this has fallen in line with them being, uh, with the legal excessive force that is in their policy. And this is what we have going on in Columbus. That's slave catching. You know, do you have to use violence sometimes to subdue your victims of slavery? And I mean, she's, I'm glad she said what she said because she let you know straight up where she coming from. So you know what type of monster you're yeah. dealing with. That she's more appalled at language than she is in action because our guidelines say you can be potential, you know, uh, victims of slavery. And, and again, condolences to you on your loss. I do remember Max interviewing you, bringing you on New yes. Abolitionist Radio. So con condolences. Uh, to you on that, but I have not seen this latest video. I'm gonna be honest. I, I I get a lot of stuff sent to me, but I just don't really have a stomach to watch our people get. I'll just read about it. I'll read you know people's descriptions, but I don't like watching them like lynching videos, like snuff films, you know. But I do understand the importance yeah. of documenting these videos. But once they've been documented. You know, I don't need to watch them because some sick people out there, they get they get off on that type of stuff. But again, that's what it takes, though, I guess, to expose um, the various elements of 21st century slavery and human trafficking and brutality has always brutality and murder has always been a part of that. Uh, guys, did y'all want to comment on anything? Were you aware of, of this incident in Columbus that I, she's speaking on? I'd like to ask her, just out of curiosity, is this the one where they accosted the young man at the ice cooler in front of the place and then followed him back in two black cops? No, this is um, actually another incident. This incident just happened on September the 2nd. So this is yet another, I believe the one that you're uh, referring to was um, a couple of months back um, and they actually ended up um, arresting that young man on an old, they said on an old ticket and the ticket was not even valid. He had paid that. So really it was just about inconveniencing him because he actually stood up um, to the uh, right to the right. police officers. Right. These this attack on this young man um, the other day. These were all um, plainclothes officers. Um, we don't know what took place outside of the um, of the convenience store. And and the owner of the convenience store, um, the young man that was recording it. The owner told um, the police that this young man was recording and actually tried to get him um, to turn to turn his camera off, but he refused to. So um, the community is trying to come together now. I hope y'all boycott that store. Uh, that store. Uh, yes, yes. If you're going to aid in the bed slavery and the brutality that goes along with it, and, and justify members of the community 
Because a store, you know, we're told that these businesses are, are part of our community. Well, if you're going to support slavery and the beatdown of, of members of the community, then perhaps you need to uh, relocate your store, take your business elsewhere. Absolutely. Yes. So is this the one, uh, there's a young lady, Hannah, did she, did y'all go before the the Columbus uh, City Hall the or City something? Council. Yes, yes, I saw some of the videos she was posting. Yeah, they did a phenomenal job. Um, I'm out of town um, for a couple of months on business, but I did get to see um, some of the footage um, from that. But, yes, that is where um, they went to uh, city council, and they will be returning again to city council on this upcoming Monday um, to get a response for the demands that they gave um Right. Okay. Past Monday. Great. Great. Yeah. Well, shout out to Hannah know. X, who is an abolitionist, and uh, she joined us there in Washington D.C. Uh, also called into the program, been a guest herself several several times. Well, uh, we do need to to continue on, uh, get to the rest of our segments. Um, was there anything else you wanted to share? No, not at this time. I just wanted to, you know, make the community aware of uh, what you. was going on, and um, and I appreciate you guys taking my call. Oh, thank you, thank you for calling in so that we can document this news, cause I had not heard that. Um, so, um, but we do need to move to our 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 next segment. Um, do you guys have a story? When you guys have a story you want to share? Yeah, I just, I just, I just... I just wanted to briefly touch on the uh, Herman Bell situation. Okay, go you know, right ahead. You know, political prisoner Herman Bell was assaulted the other day, viciously assaulted by five to six guards, you know, and, of course, in turn, they say that he assaulted them. And he's so an elderly so man, so let's, let's put that out here. I know he don't look his age, but... Uh, Her Herman's not like no young twenty-something-year-old that right. he gonna be trying to fight no five old. or six police. Yeah, sixty-nine years old, you know, and he was just days away from getting, you know, a contact visit with his wife, something that he hasn't had in over two years. Not to mention that he's, uh, you know, coming up for the parole board soon, you know. So for whatever reason they chose. I guess that they just didn't want him to have this visit. So they decided to, you know, attack him. The the uh his his uh page mentions he said while being escorted by a guard back to his housing unit, a guard struck him in the face, causing his glasses to drop to the floor. The guard pushed Herman to the against the wall. Herman stumbled and fell to the ground. Then this guard and five or six others started kicking and punching him. One kneed him in his chest, causing two cracked ribs. One one of the guards took Herman's head and slammed it very hard in the pavement three times. And behind all of this, they put him in the isolation unit and left him there for hours with no medical attention. Then he was eventually taken to the prison infirmary, where x-rays have confirmed that he has fractured ribs. His left eye is damaged from the mace and the, uh, you know, kicks and punches. His bruises all on his body, headaches, and he has, uh, has a possible concussion. 
So that's something that we wanted to. Oh, and another thing that we also have to keep in mind, he's gone over 20 years without any type of infraction. So they want us to believe the side of the blue. He decided, you know what, let me get into a fight with the police today. Right. So just putting it out there. Uh, his family is asking. Let me just let me just put this last piece out. Yeah. His family is asking for people to send him letters and get well cards. You know, you can be reached as Herman Bell, seventy nine C, zero two six two. It's Five Points Correctional Facility because he's in the box now, and that's sixty six hundred State Route ninety six, caller box one one nine, Romulus. R-O-M-U-L-U-S New York 14541 So everyone, you know, we have to keep in contact with them, we have to all, all of our political prisoners because they're you know, they're actually trying to murder them off we know what happened with Yogi Pinnell and so we have to keep an eye on them because they're trying to get rid of many of them now now, also, it should be mentioned. This was an assassination attempt. Well, it should also be. Believe. It also should be mentioned that Herman Bell is still active with his writing and and you know journalism, just like Mumia is still active Absolutely. and what have you. Because there's a Absolutely. blog that's being maintained for him that contains his writings, and he comes out with these blog posts, um, you know, from time to time. So. So uh, definitely got to keep an eye on them. On, again, this is just still slavery. Slavery is brutal. It, it, there's no, nothing humane about slavery. So, you know, you have the, these animals of, of people who believe in practicing slavery against human beings. They are the ones that, man, I tell you, man. So, and then what gets me, what frustrates me is I feel so helpless. I feel so helpless, man, because I don't have I don't have the resources where we could put into their legal defense funds or or hiring people, you know. So that's what that's what hurts me. All I can do is let people know what's going on with them. So our thoughts and, and prayers are with with him and his I family. I see in that article. I see in that article where he even had his lawyer to make sure to look at his hands and stuff to show that he. He made no attempt right. to fight back with these people. But the other part is political prisoners, they don't want these if like you said they maintain on their blogs. With the with the advent of technology now, they don't want these people out here free. They can, can basically control and constrict them while they're still behind bars. And let's face it, if he's eighth time for parole in February of twenty eighteen. I, what I did not hear, what I have not heard is is a statement from the DOC. And I believe he's in New York, isn't he? Yes. yes. So, so what are they saying? Did they even put out a press release saying that it's under investigation? Had these officers been suspended? Uh, what's going on? Oh, no, no, no. Because, because their take is he initiated. That, that that was the force required to counteract his aggression. They're trying to say he was the aggressor. So there's no investigation. There, was there an investigation or did they just come out and say that? 
See, these are questions that yeah, are not it's, being it's, answered. It's, it's, the, it's the typical, because the area where it happened, there were no cameras and no inmates in the area. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, so they did know, an investigation, so, and they concluded that it was a body yeah, book. There's, 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 there's no investigation. Well, I hope I, there's going to be an investigation, but we know they're not going to do an investigation. Yeah, I know that, but I, I want to know what they're saying, though. I need to know what they're saying. So that we can report accurate information. I, I've so, seen no official word on it yet. I haven't I'll, either. I'll it later. Really? I mean, really, there's really no. Let me. Uh, because if people complain, if enough people complain, it has to be investigated. They still have procedures and what have you, and and so it has to be investigated. If people complain, and and you know we can't control the outcome. Often, you know, they always cover up stuff, but you still have to document the abuse. So, I mean, I'm assuming that somebody filed a complaint, and I'm assuming the proper procedure is for it to be investigated. When did this happen? Oh, this this recently happened on uh, September 5th. September 5th, yes. Okay. Well, I tell you, Scott, it, it says it says clearly so that the man ago. has not had a disciplinary infraction in 20 years. Mm-hmm. 20 years. He's not ever had a, a disciplinary infraction. And all of a sudden, this happens when he's supposed to be having a three-day family visit with his wife in a few days, which means it would have been 7th, 8th, or ninth that he was about to have a three-day visit. So this is purely to to be vindictive and been to punish him. Absolutely. There's no question I'm about looking, it. I'm, 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 See, these I'm are the people that, that I don't know why they are allowed, why why do they exist on this planet, man? You know, uh, again, if I, was to, if I was to take a job on a prison plantation like that, which I would not, and but man, what kind of punk are you that you would beat up an old man and not just beat up an old man, but gang up on an old man. This elderly 69-year-old man, just so what? You can get him thrown in the hole, inflict some physical harm on him, break his ribs and all of that, uh, prevent him from meeting his wife and seeing his wife. Mm-hmm. You got to be a straight-up piece of you-know-what, man, you know, that I don't want to say on these airways. If I was to meet right. you in a here overhear you in a bar bragging about some stuff like that, I will be stalking you the rest of that night, just waiting on the opportunity to get you in the bathroom by yourself <laughs> and me and my buddies come in there and put a beat down on you. That let me I'ma leave it at that. Sad. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I'm looking at multiple sites, there's no mention of any type of investigation. And just the mere fact that he's sitting in the box charged with assault on staff sounds like they've concluded their investigation. Yes. Five five guards to take down a 69-year-old prisoner. Man, these people are, are terrorists, man. Get their heat well, we do. We might as well go ahead and take our next break. And um, we have one more segment, which is, I believe, well, two more segments, actually. Um, 
Yousef, are you ready to do the constitutional piece of or or do you want me to go ahead and do the underground uh railroad rider of the twenty first century? Do the underground railroad first. All right, so if you'll get ready to do your constitutional piece um after that and we are going to take a break right now though that's what we are about to do uh, you're listening to new abolitionist radio on the black talk radio network um, we broadcast every wednesday night god willing at eight o'clock p.m eastern time going up to just about um 9 50 um stay keep it locked all day especially on wednesdays we real busy and we are trying to bring more live streaming to you but wednesday nights Man, we have full uh, afternoon and and evening program for you. So stick around for new ab. I mean, excuse me, uh, mind, body, and spirit radio later tonight. We'll be back on the other side. Black Talk Media Project launched the digital radio platform, Black Talk Radio Network, the first such platform created to serve the black community specifically. Black Talk Radio Network has grown with a variety of radio hosts, digital radio stations, and podcasters. Web analytics say Black Talk Radio, the platform, has an online reach that ranks it among the top independent black media platforms in the world. All of this is possible because of financial contributions to the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. If you love the work we do and the voices and perspectives we bring to you every day make a donation today to ensure that black talk radio is here in the future black talk radio is new black media for the new millennium Back to New Abolitionist Radio on this Wednesday night, September the 13th, 2017, as uh, we enter into the last half hour of our broadcast, um, have Otis and Brother Yousef riding shotgun with me, 
and I do want to move into our segment on the underground railroad writer of the 21st century. Um, we want to uh, inform you about this story. Man, I hate some of these websites, man. Uh, excuse me if I seem distracted. Um, so yeah, tonight's story we're focusing on a man who's Leander man who are y'all webmasters Andrew Leander Wilson a man who spent more than 32 years behind bars in a murder case was a free man after Los Angeles County prosecutors agreed that he did not get a fundamentally fair trial what what, what does that mean fundamentally fair trial uh, Los Angeles yeah. Superior Court Judge Laura F. Praver granted a request to vacate Andrew Leander's Wilson's November 1986 conviction for the robbery and murder of Christopher Hansen and dismissed the case against the 62-year-old man. So he was what, 31? He was 31 when he when he got wrongfully convicted and, and sent off into right. slavery. Uh, Wilson was anxious. I'm sorry. I was saying right in the prime of his life. Yeah. Yes. Wilson was anxious and excited before finally walking free Thursday afternoon. He said he couldn't sleep, and last night he was bothering everybody because he was waiting for this day. It's a day with with so much, but one of the most joyous moments was meeting his eldest grandchild for the first time. It's unexplainable, Wilson said. I can't explain to see everybody at one time. It's nice. I'm happy that I'm at the end of it now. So he, he talking like, you know, these visits are important and you not being able to see people because of distance and also their ability to afford to be able to travel and and all of that. That's why, you know, it, it, they what they did to uh, uh, Herman Bell was so atrocious, man. Come on. Right before he posted to meet with his wife, you know. So he reunited with his daughter and met his granddaughter, one of five grandchildren who flew into Los Angeles for their home, from their home in Michigan for this day. Uh that's a waste of time being bitter, he said. No anger, he said, toward a justice system that essentially failed the now 62-year-old man. 32 years, 3 months, and 14 days has been that long, Wilson said. Wilson spent all that time behind bars for a murder for which he was wrongfully convicted in 1984. Now, he had maintained his innocence from the day he was arrested in '84. He, was, he has never wavered and never stopped fighting to prove his innocence, said his attorney, Paula Mitchell of Lo Loyola Law School's Los Angeles Project for the Innocent. Numerous due process violations that recently came to light show conclusively that Mr. Wilson did not receive a fair child, uh, and he is elated. He is so glad this is finally over. When he first contacted our office, one of the things he said to us is, this whole ordeal has been a nightmare for my entire family. So, we want to welcome him to freedom. Welcome, sir, to freedom. Please get some help for your traumatic stress and apparent Stockholm Syndrome. And, and I'm saying that with all seriousness and no mocking. Whenever I hear 
these victims of slavery come out and say, I'm not bitter or anything. They say that because, hey, it can eat you up, bitterness. Just some people can't handle that. It is an emotion that can take a physical toll. But at the same time, you know, I can I can control my emotions and still be mad at you for enslaving me. Okay. I can I can be angry without it physically affecting me and I'm definitely bitter. And and it's I got it. Yeah. Otis. I'd like I'd like to say this because I, I do a lot of presence on Facebook and Twitter, but I want to put this on the airways. This is my problem with people that claim to be for DACA because it breaks up families. If you go a little further in the, in the article you just read, Wilson plans to return to St. Louis to spend time with his mother, Margie Davis, who will turn 97 coming up this May. And that's 32 years. His, at least he got out before his mother died. So many of them lose their parents and loved ones before they ever get set free. Absolutely. But they don't think about breaking up black families. Yeah, I mean, well, oh, you know, the whole immigration issue, like where are the safe cities? What do they call these these sanctuary cities where That's we get freedom from slavery? Yeah, where yeah. the sanctuary cities for freedom from slavery where we don't see the type of, of of slave catching that we see where you're not arresting people for pot, you haven't criminalized all this nonviolent people activity. Where are these sanctuary cities for for the victims of slavery? But you you're shielding them from slavery. You know, the the uh, private prisons are full of immigrants, undocumented and, and what have you. Uh it is slavery. We do recognize that yeah. and I stand in solidarity with them. But I'm talking to American politicians. Where are sanctuary cities where we not getting gunned down? You know, like the young man, the the, the young man in in um, Columbus. We heard from his mother earlier, Adrian. Where are our safe zones? Where are our sanctuary cities? They don't exist. So, yourself, you have any comments on this before you, or you can go right into your section on the Constitution? I, I mean, just briefly, because you know my stance is always, there's never any mention on going after the people who wronged this man. Right. They committed a crime against this man. They, they have immunity, government service. They, yeah, they, they committed a crime against him. Yes, they did. I agree. Right. Hey, one story you know. that I did not share that I want to get in real quick, um, submitted by a listener. Um, the death of a El Paso County jail inmate is under investigation. Oh, yeah. Colorado Springs police are investigating an officer involved death of an El Paso County jail inmate who was in the custody of the sheriff's office. On Tuesday, police identified the inmate as 40-year-old Colorado Springs resident uh, Eliezer, Eliezer Torado Ortiz. Ortiz died on September the 7th following his arrest at Executive Towers um, at whatever the address is. So I just wanted to share that real quick. Uh, yourself, if you want to go into your uh, um, segment on the Constitution. Yes, sir. Uh, so, of course, you know, we're always going to read it first. 
you give me one second. 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, Section 1. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Section 2, Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Those are the 47 words of the 13th Amendment. <coughs> and we know that this exception clause is the root of the problems that we see all across the United States. Uh, one, one issue that I wanted to touch on this evening is the We'll do this to me now. One of the issues I wanted to touch on is the Eighth Amendment, just the first portion of the Eighth Amendment, because the cruel and unusual punishment portion, you know, that's a show within itself. Hmm. But the other portion of the Eighth Amendment where it says, the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution says excessive bail should not be required nor excessive fines imposed nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. That's the entire amendment. I wanted to focus on the excessive bail portion of it and the excessive fines. So they go hand in hand when we really tie we show how it ties together. So one of the one of the ways that they're perpetuating this thirteenth amendment is we know that they have these quotas. We've heard from officers, we've seen other officers come out and speak on it. They have these quotas to lock people up. You know, there's, a, there's an article that I have, one of the articles I sent you earlier about the bail trap. You know, a guy is standing outside of a convenience store with one of his buddies, and he has a soda can and a straw in his hand. He just, he just bought it from the store. And undercover officers come up to him, and they ask him, you know, what do you have on you? And he's like, nothing. You know, ask him and his friend. Search the friend, find nothing, search him. And they arrest him, and he's like, what are you arresting me for? And he says, drug paraphernalia. <laughs> so when they get in front of the judge, the drug paraphernalia that he had was the straw. The officer is saying, based in his report, he says, based on his training and experience, you know, we say that all the time, and this is what these officers say, Based on its training and experience, you know, straws are used to hide drugs within them. So he's calling that the drug paraphernalia. And because this guy had a record, he was given a bail. He was given a $1,500 bail behind this. And so we know how that goes. Most people are living paycheck to paycheck. $1,500 is a lot of money to come up with. And he even says in the article, he said, had it been like $100, he would have been able to bail out. He said there's no way he can get $1,500. <clears throat> we, we know what happened with Khalif Browder. His bail was $3,000. Sandra Bland's bail was $500. You know, so the bail, they're, they're setting bails. And, I mean, these are low bails compared to some of the bails that they have out there, you know. Uh People are getting arrested for, you know, having burglary tools, which 
is a high-class misdemeanor, but still getting a $100,000 no-cash bail and no 10%. So basically they're going to be held hostage and held for ransom until they basically cop out. So this is what they're doing to a lot of the people. They're holding them hostage on these bails, and they also do the same thing with fines. If a person has an unpaid fine, obviously most of the time the person didn't pay the fine because they just don't have the money. So they'll arrest them and hold them until that fine is paid. The bail will be the amount of the fine. And we know a lot of times they're giving outrageous fines as well. So on paper, you know, the Eighth Amendment says, oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. You know, but we know what they're doing in practice. They're holding these people for these ransoms, knowing the people can't make them, and then at the same time, they're in another back room making their scheme on how they're going to violate their Sixth Amendment right to a speedy trial. So you have some guys in some states on simple charges that sit in there two and three years. I mean, look at Khalif. I mean, Khalif was in prison for three years. He's in, in Rikers Island for three years for supposedly stealing a backpack. I mean, that's outrageous. You know, that even violates New York's speedy trial. You know, within that time, he should have been taken to trial. That 180 days where you got to go to trial, they didn't do it. Oh, yes. Somehow he was held there for three years and then eventually let him go. So they put these bails on the people they know they know the most important thing a person wants to do is get home. That's what they care about. How fast can I get home? You know, it gets to a point where it's not even about the fight anymore. So they know what they do with these bails. And although they're trying to do bail or they're attempting to do bail reform in certain states, even the, even that, you know, they found a loophole in it already in New Jersey where most crimes now don't come with a bail. The person, you know, the, the prosecutor will actually have to file a motion and show how this person is a flight risk and they can get a bail put on a person. But that's the thing. You know, it's really easy to, 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 to claim someone's a flight risk. They don't put proper parameters on them so they can always abuse it. They always leave the loophole just like the exception clause in the 13th Amendment. Well, this is tied to this is tied to the Thirteenth Amendment, this abuse of the Eighth Amendment. It's tied to the Thirteenth Amendment, as I've heard. Recall Max reporting that the United States may be one of the only, if not among, two or three other countries that even require bail, a, a cash bail. That's correct. So, so That's correct. again, what was the founding of this nation? Where was all of this newfound wealth coming from? You say the land, but who was working the land? Victims of mm. slavery. Bodies. Humans. Okay. So now it has transformed to what we have today. See, that's another way to extort money by putting them in, threatening them with slavery and taking away people's right. freedom. So it, it's right. all about cash. Uh, Mr. Jefferson, uh, what was his name? Thomas Jefferson, the rapist. Uh, bragged in a letter about how his capital, capitalism, his capital increased with the birth of every victim of slavery on his plantation. So, man, this this right. is, is it's all a part of it. 
So we uh, are coming up um, to the last portion of our program where we each give some final comments. want to thank our callers uh, for calling in and chiming in. Uh, Brother Bragg, Sister Adrian, I'm during Columbia's fighting a good fight against slavery and human trafficking, which has been legalized here in the United States. Um, has always been legal and, and a legitimate, when I say legitimate, I'm talking about in terms of people act like there's nothing wrong with it. They act like it is a legitimate business because they've been practicing it for so long. So I will toss it to Otis. Otis, you got any final thoughts for tonight? Well, I'll try to end on the same vein I always do, trying to convince people to see beyond what they think is the norm. I had someone approach me today on Facebook telling me maybe we ought to just outlaw crime so we don't have to lock people up and send them to jail. No, maybe we should get, find a system of justice so those who deserve to be in jail will go to jail but still be treated like human beings and not become a profit center like the conversation he just had about bail bonds. What's wrong with bail bonds? They have money bonds where you put up cash but the bail bond system is another scam because so many of these states have set it up so the bondsman doesn't just get the 10% that the family doesn't get back. They also, depending on what your case is, they can charge you additional fees for having to come out to check and make sure you haven't run off. Surveillance. Absolutely. So you, you can't, as a matter of fact, there are other scams too. Of, of putting you in at one locale, knowing that you have a live warrant at another, holding you in that adjoining jurisdiction, and then rather than do what they normally do, while you're incarcerated, the adjoining jurisdiction puts a hold on you and they all work it out together. Oh no, they let you pay the bond and get out in one jurisdiction. And when you walk out the door, the people who have the other right. bond for you are waiting to lock you up right. again. The That's bail right. bondsman himself calls the adjoining ju jurisdiction and puts you right back in the same. It's all about profit. And people need to understand that it's a system of graft and slavery, and it's built on extorting money from bodies, human beings. All right. Thank you for that, Aldous. Uh, your final comments, yourself? Uh, again, thanks to the callers and you know, uh, we have, we have to, you know, keep putting up the good fight, keep getting the word out. You know, I'm I'm thankful for having the opportunity to sit in. You know, I you know I learn a lot from both of you. You know, each week, and you know, I, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. You know, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart, and you know, we have to, I'm sorry, I was trying to multitask and I wasn't doing a good job at it, at either one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. You know, we've, you know, we've come a long way and we still have a long way to go. And I'm just glad that, you know, two gentlemen like you are part of the mission. All right. Well, I close it out by thanking both of you gentlemen and our callers again and for all the people who are putting in work in this new abolitionist movement, which is a movement towards not reforming slavery, but abolishing slavery. And uh, in the spirit of Max Parthas, 
Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. No. Know some peace. Peace. Good night. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times at this time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get